listening to Football in Europe, the weekly podcast covering the game across the continent. Hello and welcome to Football in Europe with me, Rob Daly. This is your weekly European football podcast. Uh, you'll be glad to know that Chris Parrott is on the show this week, but he joins us later. As by the time you hear this, he'll be in Madrid because he's covering the last ever European game at the Calderon as Atletico face Real Madrid this week. So we'll hear from Chris um, a little bit later in the show. A big roundup of what's happening in the French, Dutch and Italian title races to come too. Uh, but first, this weekend, um, I was in Germany covering the Bundesliga, uh, went to the Cologne game on Friday, commentated on Gladbach against Augsburg, a 1-1 draw on Saturday. And when back at, uh, in London at the airport, I caught up with BT Sports Archer in Tut and fellow Bundesliga commentator Kevin Hatchard. They joined me to review the weekend's drama in Germany. Follow the Football in Europe account on Audio Boom for the latest podcasts, interviews and special features. Hello and welcome to Football in Europe live from Stansted Airport. Alongside me, German football know-it-alls, Archer in Tut. It's not technically going to be live, is it? Because it's going out on Monday. Well, don't... I'll fix it in post. And Kev Hatchard, Bundesliga commentator. Hello, world. Um, we've already done a Twitter live which uh, got 600 views. I mean, are we, did, is, does that count as viral? Is that viral? At, at this moment in time, it's a little bit much to say that it's only going to reach 600 views. It's obviously going to boom, given the uh, nature of the Bundesliga market. So. I'd describe it more as a touch of flu than viral, maybe. Very good point, Kevin. Let's talk about the game you're at today, Borussia Dortmund against Hoffenheim. Archie, they were calling this a Champions League playoff. Why were they calling it that? They were. They were also calling it the Kochiko because it was Thomas Tuchel <laughs> against Julian Nagelsmann. I am being deadly serious. I saw a serious German newspaper describe it as the Kochiko. Wow. <laughs> um, but third against fourth, Hoffenheim going into the game in third, one point above Borussia Dortmund in fourth. And with three games to go before today, the one thing left to resolve in the top four at least is who's going to be able to get those Champions League group stage spots. Dortmund won by two goals to one. Not the greatest game that you will see all season. One which was exceedingly feisty. Uh, perhaps even more so because of some incorrect refereeing decisions from Dr. Felix Brich, who inexplicably allowed a... Marco Royce effort after four minutes to be called onside when it was two yards offside. Uh, Marco Royce then handled the ball eight minutes later when uh, Hoffenheim were then had a penalty awarded against them. Quite a few poor decisions made in that first half. Kramerich called offside for Hoffenheim when he was onside. Big talking point out of that is is him, but Dortmund obviously have pole position now for that Champions League group stage spot but also the big talking point is Thomas Tuchel so there's a dispute at the moment an internal thing and it's something that's been yes. rumoured in the papers and everything there's been a, between the hierarchy and Tuchel certainly during the Monaco um, that week around the Monaco incident as well um, but it's, it's sort of been firmed up by Vatska now yeah there was an interview that Hans-Joachim Vatska, the Borussia Dortmund chairman did with the Westdeutsche Allgemeine Zeitung on Friday, which is one of the uh, local papers around Dortmund. And in that, he admitted that there had been arguments between himself and Tuchel over this whole affair, which, if, if, if you're analysing this, is, is a little bit of a strange thing to admit the day before a big Huge game yeah. against Hoffenheim. And I think Tuchel said as much when he was asked about it before the game 
against Hoffenheim today and there have been plenty of talk around whether Borussia Dortmund do indeed want to continue this relationship that they have with Thomas Tuchel because there's been so much stuff which has been leaked about how they find him difficult to work with. There's been that fallout with Sven Mislintat who is the head of kind of scouting at, at Borussia Dortmund. That, that got made very public and I wonder how much longer that the club are kind of willing to go with this. I think it's interesting because it's been around for a while. If you look at his reaction towards Mario Goetze, for example, it was clearly not a signing that he led, clearly not a signing that he particularly wanted to make, even before the issue with the metabolic disorder and the injuries he picked up. uh, He clearly wasn't a player that was first on the team sheet. So I think there are issues there. I think Isaac coming in as well, just 17. You know, they're bringing in guys that are not ready for him to have now. And I think he's still really angry at the fact that he lost three key players in the summer to lose Hummels, Mkhitaryan and Gundogan in the same transfer window was really destabilising for the club. So I think he feels he's banging his head against a brick wall in that regard. And he is intense and he is a demanding guy. And that's partially the reason for his success but with a guy like that he's going to be abrasive and I think there is a battle for control there and I think he will become increasingly frustrated if the club don't go in the direction he thinks they should go in I think Dortmund might actually have a fundamental problem in terms of signing players because it's the place to go to for teenagers it would appear the, the, you know, the most exciting guy around they want to go there but when they want to aim for the bracket of established players in their prime they can't beat Bayern to those players. Bayern will sign them. And then they've got the problem of the Premier League signing that bracket of player. And if they're not... I mean, we're talking about top practice. So you're signing a player who's in his prime, but probably not good enough for Dortmund. And was that the case with Schürrle? And was that the case with Roda last summer as well? I think top rack's a different category. I think that top rack will actually suit this Borussia Dortmund side well. I think that he's actually been on the wrong side of the way that Bayer Leverkusen have played this season. OK. I think that... They just need to hold their ground more than anything else. They've got the money to say no to these clubs. And actually, I think the way that they played out the situation with Robert Lewandowski, for example, was excellent because they actually held their ground and the lease said, you're going to leave at the end of your contract, but we're going to make sure we get the best out of you until the end of your contract. It's an expensive decision to make, though, isn't it? I mean, what is Robert Lewandowski's worth? Hundred. Uh, I, I mean, just it, a lot of money. O- over a hundred yeah, million euros, yeah. at least. And with most, of, were, were those guys? I mean, we're talking Mkhitaryan, Gundogan, Hummels. Were they coming to the end of contract? I think Mkhitaryan was, wasn't he? He had a year left. Yeah, he had I a think. year left. And he had a year left. They refused to extend on the Mkhitaryan side of things. Mino Raiola, I think, said he threw a chair at one of the meetings, um, and he was agitating to get him out of there for quite some time. I think there's, there's two things they have to do. I think you're right about standing your ground, but also they have to sell the dream a little bit. You have to convince players that you're building a team that's capable of fighting for trophies. And we will never know what would have happened if they hadn't had the bus yeah. attack because we'll never know what would have happened against Monaco. It could well be that they would have beaten them over two legs. And once you're in the semi-finals of the Champions League, who knows? So I think that was a real shame. They're well set to win a trophy this season. They've been miles off Bayern, we know that. But long term, I think there's no reason why they can't challenge. 
if they just tweak things a little in terms of their attitude to keeping their best players? Uh, for Hoffenheim to lose that game, that means they now drop into fourth and they'd have to be in the playoff round. And I feel like that's a, probably a very bad thing for Hoffenheim, that Dortmund could cope with that much better. Uh, given that Hoffenheim are losing two of their best players in Zula and, and Rudy to Bayern in the summer, do you think it's important for, that Hoffenheim still try and, and grab that third place? I feel more confident that Dortmund would make it out of a playoff exactly, yeah. than, than Hoffenheim would, yeah. yes. Yeah. But let's look at the fact with, with Hoffenheim that they lost the player who I think everybody would call the best in their squad last summer in Kevin Folland to Leverkusen and people were wondering how they would be able to cope with mm. that. And with signings who were by no means pretty and glamorous in Kevin Fawkes, for example, from Cologne, Karim Demerbay, who had only been really a, a second division player in Germany. You look at how, how they were integrated into the squad and how they've become stars of the division. The, I, I think that I'm, I'm just intrigued to see what moves Hoffenheim make in the transfer market because they didn't make a full step in, in the transfer market with sporting director Alexander Rosen last summer even. And, and there's a lot to be said for that. There's a lot of praise for Julian Nagelsmann at the moment. Understandably, what with how old he is, yeah. that, that, that plays a lot of... Uh, that plays a big role in the hype. But at the same time, he could not have done this at other clubs in the Bundesliga. That's what makes this so special, the fact that everything is in place at Hoffenheim for him to do this. There's a very young coaching staff around him, for example, at Hoffenheim. You, you have that, that whole uh, culture of of young people being given a chance there that that is the way that Dietmar Hopp works and I think that that actually has played a role into it uh, Kevin you were commentating on Bayer Leverkusen's draw at Ingolstadt which probably preserves their Bundesliga status for another season are Ingolstadt going down? Yeah I think they are and I think we saw why in this game because bar a moment of absolute genius from Zonny Kittel um they just don't have the technical quality going forwards. They are a group of battlers. Mike Valpurgis has restored their pride, restored their fighting spirit. He took over a team that had taken two points in the first 10 games. They were a mess under Marcus Kaczynski. They got away from all the good things they'd done under Ralf Hasenhutl last season. Um, but that will only take you so far. And the defence hasn't looked as solid this season as it did last season. They've been relying on set pieces, relying on graft. And in the end, they don't have quite enough to get over the line. Leverkusen is a good point for them, especially considering they went behind. But you look at the fact that a 17-year-old Kai Havertz, who's only just finished sitting his exams at school, uh, had to get them out of trouble. Not for the first time either, because he got a late equaliser in the game against Wolfsburg as well. If you're relying on a 17-year-old to get you out of jail time and time again, you're, yeah. in, you're in trouble. And I think there are huge structural problems at that club that need to be solved. The point you make about Havertz in, in, in terms of relying on younger players uh, sorry, at this point we should just explain that in terms of when I'm explaining my point back to Kev uh, Kev's run off to take a call for his taxi so I'm not explaining it to anyone but Rob Come on, you're explaining it to me and the so, listeners So yeah, quite, you're still here and, and, the, and the other reason to giggle is that We've we've managed to wake up somebody at the airport. Did we? Is that what happened? Who's yeah? Th th this guy with white hair came, yeah, so is, came over. Okay, so so Kev's just back over. So so the reason why I think that actually it, you, you say young players and having to rely on them, or that not being a good thing. I actually 
really enjoy the fact that the Bundesliga gives a platform to these young players in these precious scenarios to perform because I think there's a bit of a myth about experience and how, how you need that. I mean, I, I like the way, for example, that Augsburg have persisted with Kevin Danzo at yeah. centre-back because yeah. I think that actually in the future they will really draw on these experiences from when it was really tough for them and there's a lot to be gained from these scenarios. I agree with you totally and I think it's great that the Bundesliga promotes young talent and that there are so many fearless young guys in the league. On the flip side of that, I think what it shows is that Leverkusen have had a lack of leadership this season and it's relying on younger guys to get them out of trouble. Last season, for example, Julian Brandt, who's only 20, had to come up with a string of fantastic performances six goals and six, to yeah. drag them into the top four now if that's happening time and time again there's a problem and I think guys like Toprak haven't performed as well as they should perform and I think some of the you know Chicharito's fallen away really really badly um, you know he scored in just three of his last 25 games that's a problem I think they have an issue in terms of players seeing that club as a stepping stone to something else rather than a final destination where they can really put down roots and drag the club forward. So they've got the money, um, they've got the stadium, they've got the resources. I don't think they have in place what they need to and I think it's going to need a huge personality in the coaching position to actually get that squad together and take them forward. Okay, uh, Bayern beat Darmstadt 1 0, relegating Darmstadt. RB Leipzig are definitely in the Champions League after they won 4 1 at Hertha. And I commented on Gladbach's 1 1 draw with Augsburg, uh, a late goal from Andre Hahn, the last kick of the game, in fact, against his old club possibly will put them in deep relegation trouble because they play Dortmund and Hoffenheim next. Uh, final one on, on uh, Cologne on Friday. Um, we were both there, Kev, you were commentating on it as well. 4 um, 3 against Werder Bremen. It was one of the. It was probably the most entertaining Bundesliga game I've seen this season. I watched the whole thing, uh, and the the atmosphere in the Rhein-Energie Stadium was amazing. Absolute shocker there in uh, Bundesliga Stadium having great atmosphere really adds into the uh, stereotype. That city's going to be mental if they get in Europe, aren't they? Having having lived there now for a while, I honestly that city's going to explode with excitement. It already is. Uh, the, the the headline in Express the, the morning after was the dreams alive with right. with Anthony Modest, the, the 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 king of Cologne almost. He, if if there's a successor to Prince Poldi, Lucas Podolski in the city, then I think Anthony Modest could be that man. And his form is exceptional. Twenty five goals now for the season. I really don't think you can underestimate that tally. If you're looking at the strikers who you're putting in your team of the season for the Bundesliga, Modeste is in there for me first, ahead of Lewandowski and Aubameyang. Oh, okay. I would still have the three of them up front because, I've, I'm, A, it's a fantasy side. <laughs> and B, yeah, uh, I, think, I think all three deserve that on merit. But for me, the way that Modeste has performed, he doesn't get as many chances per week. I think that there's a completely different job that he's had to play for this Cologne side. I think that the step up that he's made has been sensational, but I think that a large part of that is down to Peter Stürger, whose man management and the way that he treats all of his players individually. I was at his press conference actually on Friday, if I just briefly add, on Thursday even, and it was just amazing to see how laid back he is with all of the media. Just even after he's done the press conference, he came over, had a got got out a. 
uh, a bottle of Coca-Cola from, from the fridge and just sat down and chatted with the media openly about everything that's going on mm. with the club right now. And, and there's, of course, that understanding of that people won't write what he's, he says and that, but there's that real trust and just that explanation, that accountability, I think, even just in that small kind of press scenario shows you a really big reason of why he's successful. Just one final point that I re- while I remember it, there was a, a, a moment a few weeks ago after Cologne beat Eintracht Frankfurt by a goal to nil and remember seeing that Stürger coming down the tunnel talking really in- intensely with uh, Konstantin Rausch, uh, their, their winger, and, and you saw the, the door swing open to the changing room corridor for Cologne a few times. And kind of every few minutes, you're like, OK, so, so Stöger will have gone back into the dressing room. No, nope. Stöger was still there, really hammering in that point to Rausch. <laughs> and, and we asked him after, after the press conference in terms of what was that all about. And uh, he, he, he smiled and joked it off that, oh, it was actually because he'd seen him the night before. But it actually turned out that Stöger had been into a restaurant the night before, seen two of his players in there and gone, oh, do you mind if I join you? And he just joined them both at the table for dinner. That's great. So, yeah. Peter Stöger is a man of is, is, is somebody who is exceedingly good with people and I think that we're seeing that in terms of the way that Modeste is playing and I think as well we talked about a lack of structure with Leverkusen but you look at the calmness that Archie's talked about with Stöger but also how well he's backed up by Jörg Schmadker as well the sporting director that's a club that is building steadily so 12th the first season they got back in the Bundesliga in 2014 Ninth, I think it was last season Ninth last season this season they're going to do better than that you would think slow steady progress Stöger wouldn't talk about Europe until this week effectively what was the quote uh, he said uh, when they asked him why he wouldn't talk about it before he said you don't start thinking about your wife's Christmas present in May <laughs> so and that you know that kind of restraint and that kind of <laughs> he did, I think he might have added that because you don't know if you'll still be together which I thought added a kind of well, weird dark all, twist it? to it really well, he's been with this current partner for I think 25 years but but not married this is the thing with Stugger he's so incredibly open about every aspect of his life I... he also loves coffee by the way did you know this I didn't know he absolutely loves coffee and raids the coffee shops in Cologne I think I was told that by someone who did a shoot, shoot with him for German TV and they did it in a coffee shop and this, he was in there for three hours this is like Stugerfest <laughs> it is sorry okay, let's, all right, all right, let's, let's get off Stugger a second just I want to tell you one thing about Jan Zommer he's going to be a uh, He's, I found this in my research this week, the Gladbach goalkeeper. He's going to be, have you seen this, Archie? No. no. He's going to be a pundit on a Swiss cooking show, like a MasterChef <laughs> ah, type yes. thing, is, yes. called Bravissimo. <laughs> and it's something to do with cooking pasta. Well, he has a food blog, doesn't he? Does, he? Yeah. Zomacocht, I think it's called, isn't it? So, sorry? Zomacocht. <laughs> okay. On that note, I think we're done, are we? <laughs> I mean, there have been many highlights of this conversation, none more so than us waking up the old man who seems to have missed his flight about 10 metres away from us and is lying down, Who and, and we definitely woke him up. Um, definitely. Him, him coming over and giving us looks, but... Bravissimo is, is now the highlight, yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I think we've all learned a valuable lesson. Kevin, thank you. Thank you. Archie. Thank you. Let's get a taxi. For more, head to the website, footballineurope.co.uk. And a big thanks to Kev and Archie for appearing on the podcast, as always. Chris Parrott joins us now on the show. Chris, it's a pleasure to have you back. I know, it's been a while. I'm now married. And did you see the tweet we got from a listener? A wonderful picture of of a disgusted Roy Keane, owing to the fact when you told them why I wasn't on the show. I really enjoyed that. 
Yeah, that was uh, Jonathan Stephen. He's been sending in lots of pictures of Roy Keane looking annoyed, especially the week we didn't do one. But it's at FIE Podcast <laughs> if you want to vent more frustration at us. Um, Chris is going to take you back. Uh, the reason we're, we're doing this um, sort of quick section here is because you've got to go catch your flight to Madrid. So excited for, I mean, you're going to the last game, European game at the Calderon. That's that's exciting. Yeah, can't wait. Um, genuinely, for purely selfish reasons, when I saw Ronaldo knock in his second and his third last week, it was really upsetting. Um, but then again, you thought, hang on, here's a guy scoring a hat-trick in a semi-final of the Champions League. So uh, a bit of a shame that, I mean, it would take something truly miraculous for Atletico to turn it around, wouldn't it? The fact that they didn't score an away goal. If Real Madrid score, tie over. But it still should be a... A great occasion, and, and as you said, the the last European game in a venue which has given them so much joy, particularly under Simeone. But I don't think it's overstating it to say it would be the greatest ever victory Atletico have ever had at the Calderon if they were to topple their neighbours and great rivals Real Madrid by more than three goals and make it through to the Champions League final. Okay, let's talk about that game more in a moment. There's just a, a a bit of business to get through in terms of some leagues to mention. In Liga this weekend, both Monaco and Paris Saint-Germain won. So Monaco stay three points clear with a game in hand and a better goal difference. Monaco have uh, three to play, Paris Saint-Germain have two. So surely Leonardo Jardim's side are cl- close now. There was a controversy in the PSG game, by the way, over Bastia. 5-0 win for PSG. Uh, but Basti goalkeeper Jean-Louis Lecker was uh, checking to see if Blaise Matuidi down in the penalty area was OK. And while he was doing that, Marco Verratti pinged the ball into the top corner from 25 <laughs> yards out, which was especially brutal. Uh, in La Liga at the weekend, speaking of the Spanish clubs, Chris, Barcelona won 4-1 beating Virial, Messi with two. Real Madrid won 4-0 at Tony Adams Granada with a second string. Uh, 11 really from Real Madrid Hamez and Morata both scoring not bad for your second team to have those players Atletico also with a 1-0 whenever Abar have almost secured third spot and automatic group stage qualification for the Champions League so Chris um, a brave of Zinedine Zidane I mean Granada relegated already and not looking good but still to persist with completely changing the 11 for domestic fixtures when the titles were on the line yeah, indeed. I mean, I guess he couldn't have picked a, a better team to do against it. I still can't get when you said Tony Adams, Granada, something something just doesn't sound right, does it? Uh, and it certainly hasn't been on the pitch. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting because James and Morata both scored two goals. Both have been very much backups, haven't they? You look at the amount of goals now that Morata has scored, though. He's got an incredible record. And and you do you do throw ahead whatever happens this week in the Calderon and then in Cardiff and then in the title race. You know, Real Madrid have been under this transfer ban and yet those two guys are still backups. Imagine their squad when they can actually sign people again. You know, having not been able to do that for such a long time, they could have a frightening team. Yeah, you suspect. I mean, the, 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 there's been obviously lots of talk about whether James will go. And you imagine this might be with a with a with a World Cup coming. It might be the summer that he leaves. And and, and sort of the same situation with Morata. And there was a story this week that Diego Simeone, who whispered something to Morata on the touchline uh, during the Madrid derby in the week, said, "Come sign for Atletico." They thought they'd been able to lip read him and say that. And and Simeone since has said, "No, I was only having a joke with Morata. I wasn't genuinely <laughs> trying to trying to tap him up." Um, so, so Real Madrid, I mean, they're, they're still hanging on. I mean, they're level on points with Barcelona. I'm sure everyone remembers that. Barcelona with that superior goal difference, but Real Madrid with a game 
a game in hand. And Madrid are in a very good situation in that Champions League tie, Chris, against Atletico this week. Um, Zidane obviously still resting his players, even though they're 3-0 up. He's not taking anything for granted. Could you could you put a percentage chance on Atletico overturning that? Because for me, it seems so slim that, they, that they'd be able to do it. I'd say less than 1%, Rob. I know they have this amazing record at the Calderon. They've won... 29 of 35 European fixtures there. Simeone's never lost a knockout stage game. Um, I think he's only ever been beaten once. But look, Real Madrid are 3-0 up. If they were 3-1 up, those odds would be dramatically improved. Real Madrid just have to score. They basically do that in every single game. Uh, And because of that, I I just can't see Atleti doing it. Um, It was, you know, they, they were... Unusually quiet, I thought, Atleti in the first leg. You know, Griezmann didn't... You know, these are the games when great players step up. And you see that with Ronaldo season after season. You know, forget how many... You know, Lionel Messi may well win the golden boot, if you like, in the Champions League. He might not. Um, Ronaldo's catching him up. But it's when you score the goals. And my word, to do it as often as he does in the knockout stages and to score a hat-trick in a Champions League semi-final doesn't get much better than that. I just... I just can't see Atleti scoring three goals without reply. No side has ever overcome even a two-goal semi-loss, Rob. There's a reason for that. Because when you get to the last four, it's the best teams in it. And if Real Madrid were to throw away this, um, I would be absolutely amazed. So let's look at the logistics of the new stadium move because they're moving to a a ground called the Wanda Metropolitano, um, Mm. which has been sponsored by the Chinese property company um, Dalian Wanda Group. 67,000-seater stadium. But the Vicente Calderon has been their home for 50 years. Chris, that that stadium that you'll be be sat in on Wednesday is is truly iconic. It is. Not the biggest in terms of capacity, but Atmos... Fear-wise, certainly up there, particularly on, on European nights or when they play Real Madrid or, or Barcelona domestically. It's been a real feature of Simeone's time there, hasn't it? You know, this home record he has, you know, it really rains down the atmosphere from these steep sides. It doesn't have a roof on all three sides, but the atmosphere's integral, really, to the way that he's been able to build, you know, this us-against-them mentality. And you see him sort of orchestrating that on the touchline. And... And how they react to going to their new stadium, I think, will be very interesting. I mean, on the one side, from the marketing men and financially, I'm sure it will take them into another stratosphere. But but what it does, they're going to have to get used to it. A bit like Tottenham when they leave, I think. You know, Atletico are further ahead in their development than Spurs are. But it's going to be very interesting. It's the other side of the city. It's a long way out. Um, it's probably going to host the Champions League final in the next couple of years as well. Atletico would love to be there in their in their home stadium, but it will take some adjusting. And whether they have Griezmann and frankly Simeone there next season, I think is still is slightly up in the air. I'd be shocked if Simeone left, but you know if you believe the reports and there are plenty of them that Griezmann's done deal with Manchester United, who they get to replace him to move to this new stadium is going to be a, a real key. A real key signing for them. Yeah, we'll talk a, more, a bit more about uh, Griezmann in a moment. Uh, just for people who, who don't know a great deal about the new stadium for Atletico, um, Wanda, the, the, the Chinese pro- uh, property company I mentioned there, they started sponsoring Atletico's training ground in around January of 2015. They, they also took a 20% sh- uh, 20% stake in the club as well. 
So there was a little bit of resistance to them being in the name, but the Metropolitano is what their first stadium was called before they moved to the Calderon in, in 1966. I thought it was interesting as well when Atletico announced the stadium and the plans, they, they rolled out Fernando Torres and the quotes were Fernando Torres, someone who came through the academy, um, a, a pure Atletico guy, if you like, to sort of big up the fact that they're, they're moving to this new ground. Um, obviously... Um, Atletico have a big Champions League game in the week. There's a lot to talk about the Calderon. You know, I think they do play there on the last day of the Liga season as well. We we wonder if Antoine Griezmann will be an Atletico player in that new stadium next year, Chris. Because, I mean, there were reports in England and Spain are saying that he probably is favouring a move to um, to Manchester United. I was listening to Sid Lowe recently talking up Real Madrid's interest and that they've said to Griezmann previously, don't do anything that could jeopardise a move to us. I mean, I think back to when Fernando Torres was saying, "There's no way I could go to could go to Real Madrid." So he, they want him to leave the door open. But where do, do you think this is edging towards a United move? I do. Uh, first of all, I forgot to say I'm hoping to get over to the new stadium site as well. So if I do, keep your eyes peeled uh, on the Football in Europe podcast Twitter. Oh and I'll yeah, yeah. Get Post snap. some stuff. Yeah, get some videos or something as well. Because yeah. I mean, I genuinely intrigued to see how done it is because it it's not that far off what are we three months until they'll be playing there so one imagines um it, you know it must be very far on um so it'll be interesting to see um yeah i mean i think there's almost you know when if if it's one newspaper sometimes you can think well, i'm not sure but when everybody seems to say that griezmann's made up his mind he's going to manchester united i don't know if champions league football will change that but it, it, it does seem that for for the first time that i can remember that a Premier League club in United now can go head-to-head with Barcelona and Real Madrid and beat them. You think of Paul Pogba. I know he had the personal connection with United having come through and then left. But if you look back in Premier League history, there haven't been an awful lot of players, of real top players in their prime that have moved to the league. You know, you, you see the likes of Henri have moved young and become superstars in the Premier League. Or maybe guys who are 28, 29 come. But for a 26-year-old in Griezmann to move and potentially to turn down Real Madrid to come to Manchester United in the Premier League, I think would be a significant step forward for United to be able to go toe-to-toe with Real Madrid and potentially pinch one of their superstars off of them if Real Madrid really do want Griezmann. One player who certainly isn't going anywhere is Lionel Messi. Barcelona Vice President Jordi Mestre this week has said that the Ongoing contract discussions are now into the final stage after it was widely reported that Messi had turned down initial offers, the initial offers that, that Barcelona put on the table. I think Barca fans will just be relieved because as, as one person tweeted in, I think it was Charlie, saying that, that Messi's moonwalking towards um, you know the European Golden Boot and 35 goals or something um, in the league this season, I think. Um, a, a relief for Barca just to get that done, I'm sure, very soon. Yeah, I, I never really thought that he'd he'd leave, did you? I, I mean, it's there's all this posturing. Exactly. You can never quite tell who. I'm sure Barcelona and, or, you know, Luis Enrique and, and whoever's going to, um, and Messi have sat down or probably not Enrique given he's leaving. But, you know, I mean, when it actually comes to it, I'm sure the player's more than happy at Barcelona. Yes, um, they went out of the Champions League too early. Yes, they're going to have a, a change in coach, but they're still going to be there or thereabouts. And, for Messi to leave Barcelona would be the the biggest transfer in my lifetime. I think I just I just couldn't see it happening. 
Um, but yeah, it's such a good title race, isn't it? Um, but do you, see, do you see what I mean? Just coming back to Griezmann, I mean, in terms of who they replace, there's plenty of rumours about Lacazette that that's almost a done deal. From Atleti's point of view, they sort of need to know if Griezmann is is staying or going because, you know, it's an obvious thing to say, but that is massive boots to fill. If you don't want me, sure... just let me get on with the rest of my life. <laughs> but you, Exactly. But, you know, you're moving to this new stadium... They need to know who their who their marquee signing is going to be, or who they're going to target if Griezmann is going to go. So they sort of sort of need to know quite soon, I think. I'd love to see Griezmann in the Premier League at Manchester United. Um, as I said, he's 26; he's coming into his prime, um, and we've seen Ibrahimovic and his impact on the likes of Rashford. Can you imagine if Rashford's playing alongside Griezmann? I mean, that in terms of of his development as well. Because he's becoming this guy again. I mentioned it. Top players turn up on the biggest occasions. And Rashford seems to have that, despite the fact he's only 19. So imagine learning from Griezmann and maybe that being a strike partnership. Could be very exciting for United fans. Uh, Some crazy results in Italy this weekend. Napoli uh, got a convincing 3-1 win over Cagliari, which means... Um, they stay within mathematically touching, touching distance of Juventus, but they're on the brink of the title, uh, despite the fact they drew 1-1 with um, Torino in the Turin derby. They were actually losing um, until the 90th minute. Adam Lalic with the opening goal for Torino, but Iguain scored in the 90th minute to level the game. Regardless, Juve's winning streak, something like 33 home league games in a row, something like that, has eventually come to an end. And bizarrely, as well in Italy, Lazio 7, Sampdoria 3, <laughs> a scoreline from the uh, from the <laughs> Sunday round of fixtures. And I'm just looking through, I think, that seven different, uh, six different scorers, Immobile scored twice. Uh, never mind. Six different scorers for Lazio in that 7-3 uh, victory. Um, Chris, what else did I want to talk to you about? Oh, the Iridovisi. Yes. Iridovisi final could have won the league title on Sunday. I was speaking to Richard Connolly, who was commentating on it for Sky, and they absolutely blew it. They did. They were playing in Rotterdam, but away from home at Excelsior, and they lost 3 0, Rob. You, you know, you think of Feyenoord along with PSV and Ajax as this, you know, the three great names of Dutch football, but. They haven't won the title since 1999 and that is some way about <laughs> ensuring that maybe that, that run is going to be extended. You still think they probably will win the title, but my word, did they blow it. And um, Passion certainly overran onto the streets of Rotterdam. There's some videos around of some fairly severe trouble, actually, and, and police action. Um, but yeah, on the picture, a disastrous day. It was all set up for them to do it in their home city, albeit in an away stadium, and, um, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't get over the line. Yeah, they sold out tickets for uh, De Kuyp and they, their home stadium with big screens ready to celebrate the title, and they went and lost. So Ajax won. They rotated with their Europa League semi-final coming up. So at the moment, Feyenoord are top by a point with a better goal difference, and it goes down to the final day. Feyenoord host mid-table Heracles. Ajax will go to mid-table Willemsvay. I just wonder if Feyenoord will get all nervous on that final day and, and, and cave in. It would be heartbreaking if, if that were to, to happen as well. Um, Chris, I think, what else? I think, go for it, go for it. So I, was gonna, I think I'm right in saying that their, their away form this season has been pretty ordinary final. So you would expect them to do it at home. But as you said, they have all the pressure in the world. And Ajax, I, I thought very quietly, all of a sudden they're on the verge of a, of a European final. We've spoken on this podcast about 
how desperately poor the Dutch coefficient is and what that might mean in, in future years once the, the new rules come in. But that's a huge moment for Ajax to be back, potentially in a European final um, against Celta or, or Manchester United, of course. It was a, a heck of a win at home and you only had to look at the atmosphere at the Amsterdam Arena on Thursday night when they beat Lyon. means an awful lot to that club to be back albeit not in the Champions League final, but back in a major European showpiece, if they can complete the job in France. Yeah, Chelsea loney striker Bertrand Traore with both, uh, with two goals in that game, Casper Dolberg with one, Yunus with the other as Ajax got past Leon. Manchester United got that away win at Celta Vigo, who were well below par against Manchester United. Marcus Rashford with that free kick. Celta had been resting players for weeks in advance of that game, and perhaps they actually looked a little bit rusty. That was perhaps the irony against Manchester United. Ajax United final in Stockholm, Chris, it looks like. Yeah, um, no Slatan, which would have completed the... Uh, what, what do you say if it's four four-pronged thing? Because it would be him, United, well, two of his former clubs and in Sweden. I mean, that is would be perfect, wouldn't it? But unfortunately, he's going to be injured for it. Um, I think it would be a great occasion between two clubs who very much consider themselves as European Cup or Champions League teams, um, but playing in in a competition that United have never won. I think Ajax are one of only a couple of teams who have won all European trophies. There's only a couple of teams who have done it. United can, of course, join that club. Um, so I think for the Europa League, that would be a... Given you, you look at some of the teams that have been in the final of that competition, Neat Pro, uh, I know Sevilla have won it a lot. To have two real famous names United and Ajax would be brilliant for the competition uh, and Spartak have won the Russian Premier League title because Zenit on Sunday failed to beat Terek Grozny and it means that Spartak uh, after that long wait to win the title have finally done so Chris we're not giving Monaco much of a chance of, of overturning the Juventus tie in the Champions League are we either no um, unfortunately not I, I Juventus are just so impressive defensively aren't they we saw that in the Principality and in Barcelona uh, and in Gonzalo Higuain. Hey, look, sometimes sometimes you pay for pure class and that is exactly what they did last summer. They knew um, that he was the missing piece in the jigsaw and he's he's taken them. He hasn't scored that many goals actually in the Champions League, but he looks with those two like he's going to have taken them to the final. And what a game that will be in Cardiff, Real Madrid against Juve. You know, it's been such a long time. Talk about Ajax and how long they've had to wait for a European final. Um, I think it's exactly the same amount of time, actually, um, given that they were against Juve. Um, but anyway, when Juve last won the Champions League in 1996. But no, I don't think so. Um, from their point of view, Monaco, though, they they just have to go and try and score as many goals as they can. So I think it could be a really good game in Turin, but um, I give them slightly more chance than Atletico, but still not very much chance at all. Uh, also worth noting as well that Pauk, uh, won the Greek Cup this weekend, but it was a game that was delayed uh, when uh, players on both teams came onto the pitch to try and calm supporters who had started um, fighting in the lead-up to the game. And riot police used tear gas to bring the crowd under control. Pauk eventually winning the final uh, 2-1. Uh, Chris, um, enjoy Madrid. I'm sure you can have a great time. Can I finally get you into a studio next Monday? Yes, you can. Um, I'll be there. I'll probably be sunburnt because it's going to be about 32 degrees and... Even mentioning the sun brings me out in a red rash. So um, I'll be there and uh, hopefully I'll have some good tales. And yeah, stay tuned. I will endeavour to take some nice pictures of the Calderon and also some pictures of Atletico's new home.
Good job, Chris. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, for downloading. Uh, Chris and I will be back on Monday. Tweet us at FIE Podcast if you have any thoughts on what we discuss in the show. And uh, if you do enjoy the show as well, please leave us a review on iTunes. This is Football in Europe. 